Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Hey, One Church CEO, my name is Deji, and I have been in charge of the food bank operations here in One Church for a while now. Uh, the Scarborough community members, they've been hit hard by COVID-19 since the start of the pandemic, and food insecurity has been a major crisis. I'm happy to announce that earlier in September, we've been able to open up our food bank uh, back to the community members where they could easily call in or go online and they could book an appointment. Earlier today, we received our food for the day for the community members. And as you can see behind me here, we've got some amazing volunteers who come here every week to make sure all of this happens. You, you can see we're sorting out the food that we received earlier today. Uh, everybody say hi to the church. So it's been really great partnering with the Daily Bread Food Bank. Uh, we, we are able to deliver over 500,000 worth of food to people, members of the community every year. And today we're gonna to be delivering to about 228 families. Uh, during this um, COVID-19 pandemic, safety is our top priority. So we ensure everybody's got their mask on at all times. Uh, when they come in, they use the hand sanitizers. We check them in, taking the information. They also do a temperature check, you know, just to make sure everybody's safe and fit to work. Most importantly, we make sure handing food over to the people that need them is done in a safe manner. So, looks like we're all set. All the food has been bagged and sorted and ready for handover. Being one of the largest food banks in Scarborough, we aim to bridge that gap between ourselves and the community and give them the opportunity to be able to get to know us better and we get to know them better. So thank you One Church CEO for this opportunity. We've been able to make a great impact in this city and in the world at large. There's nothing as fulfilling as putting a smile on someone's face. Well, good morning, One Church TO. Man, I love that story, and you're going to hear many stories of what we can do together as a community to affect change, and the food bank is just one of those great stories. In fact, many of you might, even if you live in the GTA, you might want to volunteer to be a part of helping to take care of those in our city. We're the largest food bank on the east side of Toronto, and you can be a part of rolling up your sleeves and serving in that time. Now, we're in the middle of a series called leveling up. And the challenge is, over these course of these three weeks, I'm going to challenge you to level up, to take action. In fact, this is what I mean by level up. I mean to make a move in your life for the better. To make a move, take a action in your life for the better. And last week, many of you did just that. In fact, there were 51 of you that signed up for our daily text message, scripture message, and you, you can still do that. Uh, there were 22 of you that clicked on that I want to be baptized button, and you can still be baptized this fall here at One Church TO. There were 30 of you that clicked and said, I want to be considered for part of a community group, and 15 of you followed us on Spotify, and nine of you chose to follow Jesus. You raised your hand in the chat room this last week. See, you took action. You made a move to level up. Now, here's my word of encouragement for everyone who made a decision last week to kind of take a step. 
in deeper surrender to Jesus. Here, here's what my encouragement is. Follow through. Follow through. Because it's not easy to follow through, is it? In fact, I want you to know this. No matter what it is or no matter where you are in life, there are forces opposing you leveling up. And sometimes we want to blame other people, but a lot of it's right inside of us. In fact, these kind of three things are one of the major forces opposing us leveling up or taking a move for the better. The first one is fear. Uh, You know, it's kind of when you make a decision to move into something different, there's fear that kind of confronts us. You're like, "Ah, I don't know anyone in that community group. I know I press that button. I don't know if I want to go. Or baptism, I'm not sure about that. In the moment I was, and fear begins to cloud healthy decisions. For many of us, especially if you live in the Toronto area, I I guess anywhere now these days, distraction. It's kind of those things where it seems very clear in the moment, this is the next step of health, this is how I'm going to level up. And then life just takes over, right? And before you know it, it's five years later, and we're thinking, shoulda, woulda, coulda, why didn't I follow through? And maybe this is the hardest one, but it's in all of us. Laziness. There's a little bit of that kind of laziness in all of us. You know, sometimes it kind of works out as procrastination. Even overthinking something is a form of procrastination. So you have these opposing forces keeping you from leveling up, but I want to challenge you. Lean in and level up through this series. Now, this week, we're going to, last week we talked about leveling up through the surrendered life, right? We talked about living a surrendered life. This week, we're going to talk about leveling up our level of generosity. Level up our level of generosity. Now, why is generosity one of those key indicators of being a mature follower of Jesus? Well, generosity is, it's almost like a superpower of the early Christians. It has such a ripple effect in your life. It's pretty seismic. In the first way it does it, it, generosity in the practice of it, because it's the practice of generosity, protects us from living a self-centered life. It actually has a protection mechanism built right into generosity. It also, generosity projects Jesus into a troubled world. So it protects us and it projects Jesus. Protect and project. It's critical that if you're a follower of Jesus, that your level of generosity is expanding, getting deeper, because you can almost measure, really through the level of your generosity, you can measure the level of the depth of your relationship with Jesus. So that's critical. So let's look at this first one. Generosity protects us from living a self-centered life. Now, what do I mean by generosity? Because we got all kinds of ideas of what that means. It's kind of like being Santa Claus. What does generosity mean? Well, biblical understanding of generosity is different than just the act of giving something. It's different than that. And in fact, I, I follow this pastor uh, from New York City, Rich Villados. And I, I like Rich because he's a good author, but he also pastors a multicultural church like I have the privilege of pastoring. And he s- tweeted this this last week, and I thought he nailed it right in this. He said this, over the course of my life, there are many times when I generously gave financially and God blessed me. Then there were times when I didn't generously give and God blessed me. Generosity is not about controlling God's hand. God is free to bless. It's about living free from attachments. See, sometimes when generosity is taught on, 
particularly in faith communities sometimes. Generosity is always kind of in the context, you know, blessed to be a blessing. You know, you give and you'll get. And it's almost like a transactional faith where we try to manipulate the hand of God to bless. And, and that's not biblical understanding of generosity. Generosity actually is a protection mechanism in your life. A protection mechanism in that it keeps things from owning you in life from becoming overly attached to things in life. Here's what it is. Generosity protects you from becoming a slave. Say this with me. To your will, to your way, and your things. Generosity protects Jonathan from becoming a slave because I can be enslaved with my will and having things my way and that the things that I think I own, they actually begin to own me. It's a backwards way of living. Now, how does this affect us? Well, it turns us into self-centered people. All of a sudden, we see everything in this world through the lens of, how does this affect me? I call this group picture syndrome. You ever have group picture syndrome? It's like when you're in a, in a massive group picture or even a group picture of four or five people. And who do you look for first in that picture? You always look for yourself, don't you? And if you look good, that's a great group picture. Now, if you had your eyes closed, but everybody else looked good, it's not really a good group picture, right? Because we filter how we see things through how we experience it, through the lens of how it affects us. Now, why is that so important? Well, Jesus and the one we follow, he lived a very different way. In fact, in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, Jesus is facing a moment where he's going to go to the cross, and he's in the Garden of Eden, or Garden of Eden, sorry, the Garden of Gethsemane. Here are his words, very famous words, but I'm going to highlight something unique in that passage. He said this, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from, can you say this word with me? Me. Me. What is Jesus doing there? Well, he is acknowledging how this present upcoming suffering is going to affect himself. Friends, it's not wrong to think about yourself. Some people have taken this to a degree where it's, they don't filter anything about themselves or their own health or welfare through decisions or actions or things that are around them. Listen, it's not wrong. But look at Jesus' default. Yet I want your will to be done. Not me. Your will to be done, not mine. His default is generosity. His default is sacrifice. His default is serving. And we love images of serving, don't we, and sacrifice. We love stories. It, it kind of hits our social media narratives of a, of a single mom raising these kids and sacrificing as they all do and bless them. Or, or a first responder running into a burning home or a husband taking care of an aging, dying wife and caring for in those moments. And those are the kind of things we repost. Those are the kind of things we like. We, we thumbs up it because those speak to generosity, sacrifice, and serving. This last week, it was interesting, it hit mainstream media, but it also hit social media, like Six Buzz and everything else. Uh, there was a story about this billionaire. His name's Charles Feeney or Chuck Feeney. He was 89 years old. He is 89 years old. And he, he, he had over $8 billion, $9 billion worth of wealth that he accumulated through those duty-free shops at the airports. You know those things? That was his idea. 
But he just realized, he said, at one point in life, he realized, I can't take any of that with me. So he made it his ambition to give away all of his money. And this last week, he gave away his last dollar. And on social media, you heard the buzz about this because we love stories of people sacrificing, serving, giving, being generous with what they have. And it's sound, why do we love it? Because it's so in contrast to the way this world often operates, where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Where even through a pandemic, the, the bridge and gap between the rich and the poor has even become greater because we see people become hoarders and other people have nothing. So we love stories like this. They're, they're compelling for us. We love stories like this. Now, the problem is, if we're going to be honest, we like stories about other people sacrificing and giving and serving, don't we? I mean, let's be honest. Let me be honest. There's something in me that would rather be served than to serve. There is something in me that would rather take than to give. See, what generosity does is it protects me. Generosity actually protects me from the me monster inside of me. Did you know you had a me monster? You have a me monster inside of you too. And it wants everything to be about you. And here's the problem with a me monster. It's a terrible master. The me monster will divide and destroy relationships. The me monster will put a barrier between you and Jesus, the one you proclaim to follow. The me monster will dilute the, the, the intimacy of a marriage. It will break the friendships. Me monsters are terrible things. And here's the problem with the me monster. The more you feed it, the bigger it gets, the stronger it gets. How do you push back against that me monster? How do you take him on? Generosity. Practicing generosity protects me from the me monster. But it's not just about protection. Here's the other truth. Remember this, generosity projects Jesus to a troubled world. Protects Jesus. In the first century church, when the church kind of got its, its wind and started to grow, generosity was its superpower. It really was. The greatest gift we could ever give someone is to project an accurate and real picture of who Jesus is. Hey, I, I'm not, it's never lost on me. As a pastor, the greatest thing I can ever tell you about is not some interesting little factoid on the side. It is to lift up Jesus as high as I can, that you can see him for who he truly, truly is. Not some white Anglo-Saxon version of Jesus. Not some politicized version of Jesus as you see him trying to be hijacked by politics. Not some culturally relevant Jesus. Not some watered down and tame Jesus. Not some type of Jesus that looks more like a mascot for some institutionalized church. That, that's not a real picture of Jesus. It's to project a real picture of Jesus. One that you cannot tame. You cannot tame the real Jesus. The real Jesus, he gives. He, does, he didn't come to take, he came to give. He didn't come to serve or to be served, he came to serve everyone. The real Jesus, the one that is alive and not dead. I want to help you with some words that the real Jesus actually gave us. And he's describing his ministry here on earth. And I want you to catch the tone of this. Here's what he said. He was reading from the prophet Isaiah when he opened a scroll and he read this about his own ministry. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me, there's that word, me, 
to bring. There is the action to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim another action part. Cap- that captives will be released. That the blind will see. That the oppressed will be set free. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Now when you see these words and hear these words of Jesus, answer this question. How many of these activities that Jesus says that he came to do benefited him? Yeah, none. They weren't for his benefit. They were for our benefit. In fact, the price tag on these activities would cost him his one and only life. You see, when it comes to projecting Jesus, that text, who he said he was and what he came to do is just dripping with generosity and service and and, and giving. It's dripping with that. And we have the privilege of projecting that Jesus to a lost and dying world. Now, the problem is, is often over the years, the church has projected versions of Jesus that no one wanted to buy tickets to come and see. (laughs) Versions of Jesus that might have been pointing fingers at that person before there was ever a relationship with that person. Listen, relationship, correction, encouragement, healing, all happening in the context of relationship saves you from making your faith transactional and allowing it to be relational. We project a generous Jesus through our generosity to this world. So a couple of years ago, I met a fellow in our church. His name's Jerry Sen, and I didn't know him. He grew up over here. He's been over here over 20 years as part of One Church TO. And Pastor Jan introduced me to him. He was a guy working in the corporate world, but he just had something just kind of working at him, a vision of what a generous church and believers could look like. And uh, fast forward, two years later, he's on our staff team. He's one of our directional team leads. And I sat down with him this week to talk about something I am so excited about that I cannot wait to launch. October 31st, November 1st of this year is going to be a memorable weekend. But here, let's hear from Jerry. I sat down, a great conversation with him. Well, hey, Jerry. We're talking to our One Church TO family. Say hi to them. Hey. (laughs) And we're talking about generosity this weekend, and I wanted you to be a part of the conversation because two years ago when we first met, Mm -hmm. you've been a part of our church for many years, but we only met two years ago. Uh, You had an idea of generosity that I thought could really impact our city. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, it um, it was God that was challenging me. And he was challenging me to help the church mobilize in a way we've never done before. So he started to show me pictures of thousands of Christians going into communities and showing love, somewhat like of an army of Christians. And two words came to mind, love, army, an unignorable force of good in our city, in our country, and even our world. Uh, Those are words I want you to remember, church family, love, army, and that tagline, becoming an unignorable force of good in the city because our mission is to help impact the city of Toronto. Mm -hmm. So practically speaking, Jerry, what does that look like? Well, our church shows love already, but what if we showed love together all at the same time? For example, we're sitting in this park right now. What if our church cleaned that up? The community here, they would notice that. And what if we all wrote letters to our first responders thanking them for the work they're doing this season? They couldn't ignore that. 
And what if this fall on the, in November, we all packed one shoebox? The kids who receive that love, it would be unignorable. And our role as leaders would be to throw out the challenge to the church okay. on, on that. Okay, so, yeah. so Love Army becoming an unignorable force of good, you use the word challenge. Mm -hmm. I like a good challenge. Yep. What are you talking about? A big challenge, a really, really big challenge. This October 31st, November 1st, we are launching the Love Army at One Church TO. And we're gonna be sharing that challenge with the entire church. It's gonna be a big number it's of big. how many acts of love we can do as a church over the next five years. It's a big challenge but we want to be a generous community impacting the city for good. We do. See you there, church. So what if we were known for our generosity? What if we were known for our generosity? What if One Church TO was known that it fed and took care of people in need? That it was known for the way that included others, that it walked towards issues of injustice in this world? What if we were known for our generosity? What could change? What if we could turn back the clock and actually be like those first century Christians? What could that look like? A love army, an unignorable force of good. There's an interesting ancient letter written in the first century called a letter or the epistle of Diognetus. And Diognetus actually talks about the behaviors of the first Christians and how it distinguished them from the culture around them. It's interesting. Uh, the more the church looks like the culture around us, the less effective we are. The more counterculture we are, the more distinguished we are, the more attractive the church is. And Jesus lived this way. That's why people followed Jesus. He was different. And it wasn't different in a weird way. It was different in a really good way. Because he practiced generosities, others first. So listen to this. This is what Diognetus writes about the Christians. He says, Christians share their table with all, but not their bed with all. This was different than the culture of that day, where in that world, people shared their bed with anyone, but they wouldn't share their money with anyone. And here comes Christians, and they are tight with their bed, meaning that they saved sex in the context of someone they devoted their life to in this idea called marriage. And instead, they spread their money liberally, though. They helped all. Look at what else it says here. They love everyone, but are persecuted by all. And you'll see this, they, they were forgiving, they were loving, even though they were persecuted. They are poor and yet make many rich, speaking of their generosity, they are short of everything, yet have plenty of all things. And Diognetus is using a literary tool and where he's, it's paradoxical in the nature that he's building this framework to try to describe what first century Christians were like, what the, how they acted, how different they were. At the heart of what made Christianity different, countercultural, was generosity, characterized by love and service instead of power and exploitation. Now, I, you know I love history, and there's a, one of my favorite New Testament uh, historians is a man named Larry Hurtado, and he's, he's, now, he's now gone, but he, he lectured at the University of Edinburgh. And he describes in a book that he recently or had been released about the early Christians and their distinctive from the Roman Empire around them. There were characteristics of generosity that distinguished them, that made them so different that Christianity became an unstoppable movement. 
Uh, he, he highlights them in his book. He says that the Christian, the early Christian church, it was always multicultural. And he would go so far as to say that it was the first multicultural religion ever in the world. Because in that ancient culture, all gods were kind of attached to a nation, to a people group. You were kind of born, if you were this uh, ethnicity, then you must have this God. And it, was, and it went that way. And early on, Christianity began to expand and defied all of the different ethnic gods of its day. Instead, Christians would say this, that he's the God of all races, so all races are included. This meant very early on, minorities were welcomed into the community. In fact, if you read the Bible, you'll see not only did minorities populate some of the leadership structures, but women did. It had an inclusiveness that was fascinating. So they were multicultural. The second thing is they were concerned with the poor. This marked them. And uh, it's interesting. There's some letters between uh, the Roman Empire and one of, its, uh, one of their uh, precepts. Uh, that was overseeing a region. And he can't get over the, the way they're taking care of the poor. Famine and disease would happen and they would risk their own lives to serve others. They would lay down their lives. They gave money not just to take care of their own, but to take care of others. And the third one that distinguished them was they were forgiving. See, this was in a world where, where I could forgive you as long as there, it was forgivable, but they were being killed and persecuted and they couldn't get over that the Christians didn't come back and try to kill and persecute them. They, they forgave them just as Christ forgave us. This becomes not only infectious, but something beautiful that the first century church begins to model. And that generosity just takes off. In fact, it, it, Larry Hurtado goes on in his book and he says this. He says, Christianity did not become successful through Constantine giving it imperial approval. And that's something we often hear in, in, uh, in popular movies or even kind of like history channel type documentaries, but, but it's not historically accurate because it actually is this. Instead, Constantine adopted Christianity because it had already become so successful despite earlier efforts to destroy the movement. It couldn't be stopped. What made Christianity unstoppable and unignorable? Generosity. Generosity. See, it was a radical ethic of generosity that made Christianity unstoppable and ignorable. And where does that radical ethic of generosity come from? Jesus. It's in the very nature of God to give. It's in the very nature of God to serve. It's in the very nature of God to be generous. And if we're going to be the type of church that's countercultural, infectious, unignorable force of good in this city, we're going to have to open our hands. Open our hands and serve the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized. Open our hands and give of our talent, our time, and even our resources. Oh, we've been journeying through the book of Luke for this entire year. And the sequel to the book of Luke is the book of Acts. And it chronicles the early formation of the church. And if you go, if you ever have time to do this, go through the book of Acts and circle every time they say together. It's unreal how many times they talk about the unity of the church and together what they accomplished. Well, friends, at One Church TO, whether it's our giving or our serving, we do so much better when we're together on something. 
In fact, uh, I got a little video sent to me because you as a church, we gave and we made a big difference, not just locally, as you saw through our food bank, but globally, this church is at work. There's been a food crisis in Yemen that's just been horrific. And you gave to it. Here's what happened. Hello, I'm David Adcock from Erdo. And I want to thank you, Pastor Jonathan and, and Pastor Dan, and everybody actually at One Church. I've heard the outstanding news that you've decided to stand with us as we together respond to the critical needs of people in Yemen. You need to know that you are literally making the difference this summer between life and death for the people in Yemen. You know, after six years of war, people in Yemen are still caught in the crosshairs of conflict. There have been recent airstrikes. And in many cases, um, many people now face starvation. And with a crumbling healthcare system, Yemen now has the highest mortality rate of COVID-19 in the entire world. With increasing food scarcity, now more than eight in every 10 people living in Yemen need humanitarian aid just to survive the next few months. You should know that, that your gift will be matched four times by the Canadian government. This means that, that one church's support of $50,000 becomes $250,000 in emergency supplies delivered to families over the next six months. Once again, from all of us at Erdo, uh, please hear our thanks in the name of Jesus. Because together, we are seeking to be obedient to the call of Jesus in the difficult and dark places of this world. May God bless you all this summer. You're going to hear more stories in, over the course of the fall of what we've been able to do together. And that crisis in Yemen, it broke my heart when I saw on BBC some of the things that were going on there. Do you know how good it felt uh, to see Christian ministries there and working with aid agencies, helping make life more bearable, even uh, to people that no, don't necessarily follow Jesus. And I, I love that. No, it doesn't matter who it is. We, our generosity changes lives. So I want to give you an opportunity to take a next step, to level up. So for some of you, it might be serving. It might be serving in some capacity. For others of us in this moment, it might be giving. In the chat room, there's going to be a give button that comes in there. And I want to encourage you, if you've never given, give. Give. Open your hands. Serve. It doesn't matter whether it's to one church, to, to another charity, to serve in whatever community you're at, whether it's to volunteer in a school, whatever it is. Serve and give. You'll never regret that treasure you store up in heaven. So in the context of giving, and just before I pray, I have a little liturgy I'd like us to read together about giving. And I'd love you to read it out loud at your home, wherever you might be today on your phone. Would you read this little liturgy out loud with me? Let's say it together. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We bring nothing into this world, good to remember. We take nothing out of it, good to remember. We who call Jesus Lord devote ourselves to resisting greed, which plunges the human heart into ruin and pierces it with many griefs. We are determined to practice. Keep saying this with me. We are determined to practice generosity with free hearts, fixing our hope on God and not the uncertainty of wealth. We desire to be rich in good deeds and willing to share all that we have laying up for ourselves treasures that will not decay, 
but will shine in the age to come. May it be true of our community. Amen. Father, thank you for what you've been able to do through this One Church TO community. And God, we pray, Lord, that our hands would be wide open as a church, even in the middle of a pandemic where people might be tempted to grip things tighter. We grip your hand tighter, God. We trust you, and because you have us by the hand, we can open our hands for others to grab theirs too. God, we pray you would protect us from the, the, the evil of materialism and greed and those things that pollute our souls and the me monster that wants to make life about us. And God, in turn, you give us courage to project an image of Jesus, the true Jesus, of his generous, loving, and grace-filled heart. We pray this all in the powerful name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.